21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. Hello, everybody. Welcome to my Run Your Life podcast series. Uh, it's been actually quite a while since I recorded a podcast, in particular, a four times mindfulness podcast with Neela Steele. And that's what we're doing right now. We're recording our tw- our 11th or 12th episode, 11th. 11th episode of Four Times Mindfulness. We've had every intention to record uh, before today, but uh, we've been quite busy with things at school and, and other things. But um, it's been a very interesting uh, past two months. Uh, we continue to settle into our new life here in, in Saudi Arabia and at the Cow School, learning a lot personally and professionally. Um, but I'm going to hand it over to Neela Steele right now just to say a few words before we actually move into our four mm-hmm. seeds of mindfulness for today's podcast. So Neil Steele, what do you want to say to everybody who's listening? Just an update that, as Andy said, we've been engaged and occupied with personal and professional things. And I did want to mention that we we did record an 11th episode, and that was with our dear friend, Mike Cazella. But, and the experience was wonderful, but we just ended up having having too many technical difficulties with the sound, and it wasn't anything that we could uh, salvage. So we look forward to creating another podcast with Mike, and uh, we're happy to be back here to be recording another episode of Four Times Mindfulness. Yeah, and uh, one of the big things that uh, a little bit of backstory and – um, a little chit chat before we begin, but uh, I just want to talk about our experience going to Dubai briefly uh, before moving into our four seeds of mindfulness. But Neil and I both attended Jared Robinson's Connected PE conference in Dubai uh, well over a month ago. It was in October. Uh, but that was such an amazing experience because it allowed us to reconnect with some very special people. Uh, Jared Robinson, his partner Amy, um, Adam Laveau, Nathan Horn, Dean Dudley, Mel Hamada, Naomi Hartle, uh, many people. But uh, it was great to just uh, really connect with people at that conference. And it was a reminder about uh, our profession and what it is we do and, and what we're all striving to do. And uh, really relates back to being our personal and professional best. And I think in assuming uh, positive intentions with everybody we come across in our field, uh, that's what we're all about is, is really being at our best. But is there anything you want to add uh, about you know, your experience in Dubai or just your, your learning over the past couple months before moving into mm-hmm. Air Force Seeds? In regards to the experience at Dubai, it's always a whirlwind and a boost to meeting up with people who 
inspire us online and then coming face to face and we have all these amazing conversations and the weekend is a recharge to continue to for all of us to share and continue to sort of serve others with what inspires us and hopefully in in return it, it inspires them and then it spreads and flows and I think that's what it's about and that's what we walk away from those experiences really uh, embracing is that informal informal learning and there was also Ilsa from the UK mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. who we want to say hello to it was great connecting with you Ilsa I hope you're listening to this um, but uh, I guess we'll just uh, get on track here with our four times mindfulness series which is all about sharing uh, our insight and inspiration related to mindfulness, a, a common passion, a shared passion of Neil and I. So um, we share four things each uh, in every episode. Uh, so as I said, it's been a while, but uh, I'm really looking forward to recording this episode with you, Neela. And I'm going to let you begin by sharing your first seed of mindfulness. So go ahead. I'm going to start with um, November. The first week of November, we had a week off for fall break. And about two months ago, Andy suggested that I go on a yoga retreat. And to give you a little bit of history here, for the last, I would say, five or six years, Mm -hmm. um, well, First of all, to give you a little picture, Andy and I have been married for, uh, we'll be celebrating our 18th wedding anniversary. Yes. Okay, so right. And in 2009, he gave me a gift, and that was the gift to go on my own for two weeks to an ashram in Kerala, India. And I remember that experience well. And then in return... Um, Andy has had lots of little mini trips or golf trips or boys weekends. And the most recent one was in 2012. No, no, just two years ago when we went to Scotland. Okay. 2014, I presented him with a gift for one week in Scotland. To play golf on a solo journey playing golf. It was amazing. So... We have this, uh, I guess you can call it a agreement or we take turns where one year I'll take a week off for myself and then the following year Andy will take a week off. And what I love about this week is I usually choose to travel alone. And I think it is such a switch and a change from the fact that I usually... I'm dependent upon the four of us traveling as a family. And when I travel alone, it reminds me that I'm just me. So I'm no longer uh, a part of the family unit. I'm no longer um, a wife or a mother. And those, I have a little break from those rules. And when I was looking up traveling alone or deciding to travel with friends, I remember a article that I tweeted out uh, from Alistair Humphreys. And 
The article is entitled, Should You Travel Alone or With a Friend? And it sort of listed the benefits to both sides. And what I found when I went to the recent yoga retreat, which was at the Smiling Tree in Campagnano outside of Rome, the the idea that when you travel alone, at first I went through experiences of all of a sudden I felt very anxious because, uh, as I said, I'm so used to traveling together. And then once that anxiety started to settle down, I started to embrace the journey of having this week off. And in my mind, I didn't want to sort of uh, release any energy that was wasted where I was worrying about Andy and the boys and were they okay and what were they doing and and was I doing the right thing. So I just savored the whole entire week. And a little bit about taking a yoga retreat was um, I used a site called um, bookyogaretreats.com and I really had to look at what it was I wanted, the amount of time, and uh, the amount of travel time. So that's where I came upon the Smiling Oak Tree. And Elena, the the owner of that uh, retreat center, was incredibly kind and generous and very welcoming. And to add on to that, when I travel alone, I'm much more open and receptive to meeting other people. And one of the women that I met was Anya, uh, Anya Ramsey, or Ramzai, so sorry if I mispronounced your name. It was such a pleasure to meet her because we instantly bonded, and that was over laughs and our sense of humor. And then it was bonding over meditation and yoga. And I think when you travel alone, you hopefully become a little more um, open and receptive to connecting with kindred spirits. And it was such... Uh, as I said, a divine experience where I was treated well, I ate well, I practiced yoga, and I really encourage others to take on an opportunity where even look, of course you might say, okay, I can't take a week off by myself, but try to take these little micro adventures where you might take a day to be by yourself or if you can get away for the weekend. And if you're not ready to go on a solo journey, then go with a trusted friend. And uh, we have a pretty interesting story about Alistair Humphreys. He's an adventurer. Um, so he's the one that you, you talked about his article before, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, and go ahead, Andy, you can tell the story about well, Alistair. Well, no, just that idea that... Um, Alistair Humphreys is a, a British adventurer and he was the national, one of the National Geographic's adventure, National Geographic adventures of the year in 2012 for his work related to micro adventures. And just like Neela said, like Neela going to Rome on her own, that's a big, it was a, it was uh, a luxury and a privilege. But yeah. it's a big adventure because mm-hmm. you are leaving the country, you're leaving on an airplane. You're mm-hmm. gone for seven or eight days. 
and what Alistair talks about uh, on his blog. So you have to check out his blog, alistairhumphreys.com. But he really focuses on the potential of the micro-adventure. So what Neela says is really applicable to anybody listening to this, that you don't have uh, the luxury of time or even money to go halfway across the world uh, on these adventures. But adventure is at your doorstep. And it might even be uh, one day from nine to five where you look inside your own city, your own town, wherever it is, and you set out on an adventure for the day. And maybe that's a solo journey, a solo reflective journey, but you take the time to be on your own to go on that little adventure. And it's such a, a great reflective experience. So I guess returning back to your trip to Rome, say a little more about what you kind of reflected on and what you learned and what you embraced during that week. I I really savored the the time I brought with me um, the novel Shantaram. And it's a 900-plus page novel. And I was proud to say that during that week I read 500 pages. Now it's still sitting on my nightside table. But just the luxury of being able to read for long, undisturbed periods of time. And then the, the other thing I loved was... It's so easy to eat when you're at a retreat and have this delicious food prepared for you. Uh, there were two beautiful, portly Italian women who cooked every day for us. And the food, it was, uh, I mean, we were in Italy, so enough said about the food. And... I, I really cherished being able to go off on two and three hour hikes and I purposely didn't bring any device with me because I really wanted to get in touch and in tune with all the sounds and I called it the soundtrack of my retreat and it, I really heard uh, my feet against the pavement, uh, the rustling of the leaves, it was a beautiful fall uh, seen rolling hills and not only that i think it's the duality of living in the desert so we're living in saudi arabia and then to arrive in rome sort of full autumn bloom with all the colors and the the entire experience was everything that i desired and the routines of doing two uh, yoga sessions per day, regular 25 to 30 minute meditation sessions. And I also had time to write several of my, several of my good friends. And I wrote them a, a reflective letter. And ah, what a delight it was to receive responses and to hear the details of their lives. So what do you have to say to the person listening who would love to do something like this that's busy, that doesn't usually uh, go on trips like this what, uh, for a variety of reasons, but in particular your default mechanism to traveling with people? So what do you have to say to challenge that 
type of person to really take themselves outside of their comfort zone and create this micro adventure or weekend holiday away or one week holiday away where they are truly on their own and um, you know that what they can kind of benefit from that experience by opening themselves up to it so what what's your your kind of words of advice yeah the first I mean the first would be your attitude that you would um, try to carve out some time for yourself and I guess an example I would say would be even if you have a dog to take the dog on a a new walk again without any of your devices and just take that time to connect a little more with as I said what is the the soundtrack of that current scene and I do realize and am very appreciative of the fact that I have you that you are very supportive you're a very supportive partner that you I could trust that the boys were going to be well taken care of and I I would suggest trying to find that support if you don't have it if you can trust a friend or family member to take care of your kids if you have that that you could just block off a bit of time it did take a lot of planning it wasn't there was no art of of spontaneity in it we definitely had to plan and as but we, within the eight hours yeah. of the day there was spontaneity I mean, you, you could. You went to the village. You you did. You mean on the retreat, yeah. or yeah, on the retreat. On the on the retreat, I I sort of had some intentions at the beginning of the day where I went hiking, and the yoga was scheduled at a certain time. But for other people, just trying to make teeny tiny changes. Maybe um, your micro adventure could be a. Uh, a different way of commuting to work. Um, if you well, normally drive, would it be something feasible for you to take the train one day or aiming to go into work a little bit earlier so that you had that sort of quiet space before everybody arrived at work? And these are just some suggestions. I'm sure yeah. everybody else will think of better ideas. When I went to Scotland, I remember waking up some days and uh, I guess you spoke about meeting your, your friend who you're connected with now. What's her name again? Anya. Anya. And and you, you met her. And I think that's the big thing is that you have to open yourself to almost set the goal of connecting with at least one person on this journey in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Maybe that's going to be a store clerk. Maybe that's going to be a waitress or a waiter. Um you know, you don't have to do it, but when you open yourself to the possibility that that might happen, then really nice things can result. And when I think of my trip to Scotland, I think of Mike Robson, and he's the the Scottish older gentleman that I I connected with, right. who is a fantastic person, an amazing golfer, and I connected with him on social media on Twitter before going to Scotland mm-hmm. even. and I thought oh you know I told you uh, there's this guy on Twitter who responded to a tweet that I'm going to Scotland and he said well you know I'll take you out on my course <laughs> and then I end up playing golf with him the whole week and we're still connected now 
and we have formed this friendship. A pretty that, amazing friendship. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so it's that idea that the human connection is there at every turn, whether it be a micro adventure or a bigger uh, adventure. And I thought about that today. We're going to Italy for three weeks uh, for Christmas, uh, Italy and Germany. And I thought, how cool would it be to really set that goal that I'm going to connect with at least one person on this trip that I don't know, a stranger, in some way, shape, or form. And you don't have to do that, but if you set the intention to be open to, to meeting others, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, mm -hmm. it's easier for extroverts, um, you never know what can happen. And the, the friendships that you can create or the the learning that can take place, whether it's just a one-off thing and you never see them again, but just what you can learn about that human connection. Absolutely. And it actually reminds me of another story. When we were flying back, we were leaving China and uh, we were flying back home to Canada. And I, I did make an intention to um, be available to a stranger or for a stranger uh, while we traveled. And the funny thing was that we were sitting in, uh, we were sitting in Hong Kong in one of the lounges, right? Yeah, I remember that. And uh, Andy had got up to get something. Anyways, I was sitting there alone with Eli and Ty, and we were sort of sprawled out on these sofas And at that time, I was engrossed uh, in my computer and not really. We were, the boys and I were near each other, but we weren't really having any conversations or anything. And an uh, older woman, I would say in her 80s, came over to me and she said, Oh, is anybody sitting here? And I said, Actually, yes, my husband is sitting here. And I, if I think back to, to really check in with how I was, I think I was probably just a little impatient, not very open. But I said, I said very nicely, actually, no, my husband's coming back. And she said, well, my legs are sore and I really wanted to stretch out. I was wondering if I could sit beside you and stretch out my legs just for a little bit of time. And I kind of was humming and hawing and then I finally said oh okay not even realizing that earlier I had set that intention to sort of meet a stranger or be able to listen to a stranger on our journey and she began chatting with me and as I looked and scanned the whole room the whole lounge was staring down chin to chest uh, on some sort of device And yet this one was there talking to me. And as we began our conversation, at, at first it was chit-chat, and I started to inquire and ask her why had she come to Hong Kong, and she said she was from the States and that she'd come for her son. And uh, I started to ask more questions, and over probably about 20 to 30 minutes' time, she then revealed that she was actually attending his memorial service, that he had died at the age of 52, and that he was uh, he had left his wife and his 10-year-old son, who were still living in Hong Kong. And it was sort of at that moment that I went, oh, this, this is the woman, this is the stranger that I'm just meant to 
to listen to. And that's when I started to soften a little and not be in that traveling, pushing people away attitude, just wanting to get where we were going. And, and I just really felt that that was a moment where, um, I was practicing mindful listening and being attentive to women where the whole room was on their devices. And I remember that specifically because I went to the salad bar or something. I came back and she was sitting in my seat. (laughs) And so I went to a far seat and I just sat there and I had my book. And I knew that you had connected with her because you guys were talking. And it was a good hour and then I just walked over when a seat opened beside you and I sat down and then she just kind of got up and you guys said goodbye and she disappeared yeah, and you told she, me that story. Yeah, she had to leave, yeah. Um, and then you said, I think you recognized after that moment that you had set that intention to meet somebody and you said, that's the person that I, that I just met, that I was meant to, uh, that I was meant to, to meet just whatever. connect and listen yeah and i think that that's what traveling and and removing yourself from your inner experience and opening yourself up offers you and when uh we go to workshops and stuff that's what we always open ourselves to mm-hmm. meeting others so um i think that's amazing we went on much longer than we thought here we and did. we didn't go in any direction but now seeing as you talked about that mm-hmm. i'm going to change my seed of mindfulness Ooh. And move on to um, the second seat of mindfulness. Okay. And it's um, a great YouTube video called uh, Look Beyond Borders, The Four-Minute Experiment. Mm -hmm. And it's the power of the human connection. And I wasn't intending to talk about this, but this came up earlier in the week. Um, We have something at our school called T3, which is Teachers Teaching Teachers. Ooh, I'm going to use this for that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's and, idea. Um, I did a session for teachers at my school. So uh, we run T3 sessions at Coast three times a year. And it's just whatever teachers sign up to, to share whatever they want to share. And then uh, the other teachers can just select uh, a session to go to. Um, there's two sessions. So I decided to... Um, present my passion of provocation which is all about as an educator um, it's all about creating that emotional hook uh, for our students and in creating an emotional hook you kind of capture their curiosity and wonder and awe or empathy and compassion happiness joy whatever it is but you really tune them into that learning experience Um, so when I was teaching, I would project ahead of time the emotional experience that I'm trying to convey and get across to my students. And then I would find some type of uh, video or a story, whatever it is, to, um, to present to my students to create that emotional hook. And it's rooted in research. When you create that emotional hook, you have their invested time and energy and you have to use it wisely at that point. So a lot of the work that I do in education is all about provocation. And even if that's with teachers that I work with, I'm going to create provocations to get myself wondering and thinking and to get the teachers 
and the leaders that I work with wondering and thinking about the impact that they can have. And a lot of my talks that I give are all about creating that hook with educators in particular. So now that you mentioned this kind of experience about, you know, your goal of connecting with at least one person when you travel, that's all about the human connection. Mm. So I presented this uh, provocation workshop this week where I was trying to inspire educators to really know their impact and, and uh, the importance of creating that emotional hook with their, their students. And um, I had, uh, you know, it's such a wonderful experience teaching internationally because you always have the local staff. So teachers from the this, the home country that you work with, and oftentimes they're language teachers. So they're teaching the language of the country. Uh, in this case, it's uh, Arabic, so Arabic teachers. So I had uh, a few Arabic teachers in on my provocation workshop. And it, the next day after presenting, I came across them in the hallway and then they thanked me for presenting what I had presented. And I, you know, whenever I receive kind of feedback like that or thanks, I take a reflective moment to uh, be thankful to myself for taking the risk to present what I love. But also that idea that it was really rewarding to know that they found use in it. And then I started to think about their subject area. So they teach Arabic to foreign students and they teach Arabic to um, the international the, students, the, yeah. the home, oh, yeah, home the home students who yeah. are already um, they're already fluent in the language. Mm-hmm. So, so they they teach Arabic in two different capacities. So I started to think about, and they said, "Oh, we found your workshop so useful, and we want to use provocations when we teach Arabic because it's very difficult." to teach Arabic to foreign kids and, and get them to understand the, the value in it. Mm. And it's not just here in Saudi Arabia, but it's anywhere. You can be teaching in China or Japan or wherever where the local teachers, the home country teachers, are trying to teach their language, and language is so powerful. And as adults, we think about the power of being mm-hmm. bilingual mm-hmm. And, and knowing different languages. So I was talking to them in the hallway for about 15 minutes. There was a group of them. And then I remembered this video that was all about the human connection. I said, you know what? I'm going to find this video and I'm going to share it with you. So um, this video is a social psychology experiment by a, a New York uh, social psychologist uh, where, where she set up a four-minute experiment and it's a beautiful video. Um, it's taking, um, I think in this case, Syrian refugees new to the country, mm-hmm. bringing them into a space mm-hmm. um, where they sit down. And it might not be only Syrian refugees, but just people new to the country in general, but um, where they sit down face-to-face across from a stranger. They're both, they have their eyes closed, and for four minutes, they have to look at one another. Mm -hmm. If they speak the English, 
then they can communicate. Mm-hmm. If they don't, they just look at one another and it's very uncomfortable and there's tension and pe- eyes diverting. But it's four minutes of just looking at another person. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the four minutes, oftentimes what you see is that they get up and hug mm-hmm. because they've created this connection just by being across from one another. And when they can communicate, they begin to understand one another. So I remembered that video, which has over 600,000 views. Um, and I thought, what a perfect provocation to use for the Arabic teachers. And I told them about it. And I said, I want to share this video with you. And then they left and they went to their office. And then I went to my office and then I searched online, and I found it. I got my computer, and I went back to the, mm. the office, and it was all the Arabic teachers. And I showed them the video, and they loved it. A few were in tears. And they said, how beautiful is that? It's that, that human connection and that language. Learning a language allows you to communicate mm-hmm. at a deeper level. So on a deep level, we're connected. But on a deeper level, if you speak the language, you can communicate even so more. more. So when you shared the story of the, the woman uh, in Hong Kong, At the airport, yeah. uh, I decided to change and nope. share this yeah. story. And so I'm going to share this video in the show notes. Um, it's amazing. It's only five minutes. Uh, the four minutes, ex- uh, four minutes experiment looking beyond borders. Very, very powerful. Um, And it reminds you that every single person you come across in your day is another human Mm -hmm. who you can connect with or you can continue to move through your day and not connect with. And that'll happen. But just taking more opportunities on the micro adventure like you talked about or your trip to Italy. Well, I uh, I would just continue to ask yourself, are you pushing people away? Are you um, or are you open and receptive to making new connections and relationships? And it's it's often in those spontaneous moments that you begin to learn something new about a person or the best sort of mini surprises are when you think you know somebody or you've been working with somebody for a long time and you just sort of prejudge that you know that person and then they reveal something to you and all of a sudden you pivot and shift and you have a new uh, sort of, you have a... A new insight. Yeah, yeah, definitely about that person. So that's about being open and receptive. And so... Shifting now, we're going to move to the third seat of mindfulness. By Neela Steele. That is that is me. And uh, I'm going to share a, a little bit about being a beginner. Being a beginner. Uh, so Tell me about that. <laughs> for 18 years, I have heard Andy sort of tell me a play-by-play replay of all of his golf holes over the years. And so, yes, granted, I would tune in and tune out 
when I didn't have anything to anchor that experience to. So golf, I remember hearing the, the language of golf and hearing about Andy Eagles, Eagles and birdies and pars and double bogeys. Okay, so I have become a beginner golf player. I love it. And we are very fortunate to have a golf course less than a kilometer away. Uh, and uh, I have weekly lessons. So how does mindfulness connect to being a beginner? And one of the quotes I love is by a Zen monk, Shinryu Suzuki. And he says, in a beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. But in the expert's mind, there are few. And this so pertains to golf. I used to have an attitude where I didn't want to be a beginner. I am a skier. And many people have said, when are you going to start snowboarding? And the dread of being a beginner again, I have yet to try snowboarding. And I haven't really had those opportunities. But when Andy said, why don't you start taking golf lessons? Uh, it's something we can do with the boys. We're in an ideal location. The golf course is only a, a kilometer away. You sort of have no excuse. So in bringing mindfulness to golf, what I love about it is it is a very Zen sport. You do have to bring yourself back each and every time that you place your club before the ball. You have to, uh, and I will bring back the definition by John Kabat-Zinn of what mindfulness is. It's about being present with a particular focus and attention to this moment, the only moment that matters. And in golf, when you begin to let your mind take over and it begins to dump all these previous experience and judgments and what if I do this and relax the shoulders and ball placement, foot placement, swing, arm movement, hips. When you begin to bring too much thinking into the shot, you will not execute a beautiful swing. And I see how the game is excruciating. I see how people torture themselves and the things that golfers say to themselves out loud when they make a crappy shot. And with bringing yourself back to the moment, it is a practice. It is a practice each and every time. And so as I share my personal story about being a beginner in golf, I think it really applies to trying and striving to be mindful in anything that you do, especially something that is new, because learning anything, learning a new language, learning a new sport, trying to pick up an instrument and play it, it is all about striving to bring yourself back into the moment so that you're not ruminating about the past or fast-forwarding towards the future when you think things will be better. It's just about dropping into this moment and trying to remain fresh and humble and seeing and experiencing or witnessing this moment with new eyes. And the whole experience becomes so much more fulfilling 
than stuffing it full of thoughts and trying to analyze and think. So what can you say to somebody? Yes. That I want to go on a little bit about golf, but I, it's my passion and it'll <laughs> take up the next hour. Uh, so I just in looking at your experience with golf and and what you described about that prejudgment. So you, you get up to set up to the ball and you're like, I've never done this before. I'm terrible. Well, that... Hang on. Yeah, okay. On. Okay. So... So you you might say that to yourself, not you personally, but anybody trying something new. That's, yes, right? yes. So what is it within people when they try something new that they must be aware of and squash right away? Wow. I'm asking you. To answer that, what pops in my mind first and foremost is is aiming to bring what Carol Dweck calls the growth mindset. That, of course, you're not going to execute a perfect swing because you have no experience in this. And practicing, that might be bringing self-compassion into it. If this is a new experience, it is very fresh, and you aim to delete doubt, bring in a mental attitude of uh, yeah, the, the growth mindset that I'm trying this, that I need time to practice. I need to be coachable right now. I need to listen with intention to what the instructor is saying and again, bringing in a sort of relaxed attitude. Don't pressure yourself, especially if you have never experienced that before. You don't have to bring in negativity, doubt, and a, a sort of annoying roommate that says, well, you haven't done this, and you're not very good with ball sports, you've never been, you were last picked on teams. You... You let go of all of that. Yeah, yeah. Let it be and let it go. Yeah. And with golf, it's such a difficult sport. And I grew up playing golf and then coming here to coast. I was so excited that I could start playing golf again regularly and living in China and Cambodia. Not really playing I, that, not that really. often. I'd hit balls and, but I dreamed of playing golf cause I loved it. Um, and I, th- I think for you, it's way more difficult because you have so much of that prior experience. And for you, it's easy to replay past mistakes. And successes. Yeah, I used to be this good, so why am I not this good now? Or I used to, yeah, I went through that. But I made a conscious decision a couple weeks ago to... um, I was getting frustrated with, you know, because now I have access to golf all the time and... Um, well, not all and, the time. Well, I mean, a few times a week, <laughs> much more than yeah. before. Um, but now that you're playing, I have access to it uh, more than mm. I did before. Anyway, so um, I made a conscious decision last week to work on the mental mindfulness side of golf and to just kind of work on that kind of because golf's a tough sport just like any other sport where you're really trying to excel at a at a higher level 
And I started to focus on just the mental side of the game and let go of the actual technique side, which is supporting what you just said. Right. And focusing on and the mental side and letting go of that's the mental doubt and all of that. In yes. sport. Yeah. And sport mastery. And my last two nine hole rounds were thirty seven and thirty five, one over par and one under par. Um and I think that is a result of just letting go of thinking too much about the technical yes. and just working and on execution and yeah, and, and accepting that there will be bad shots, bad performance, but it's more about controlling the mental emotional side of performance rather than focusing on the, the product and the results. And what the results exactly, because I, I imagine that many golfers think that even before they've hit the ball, they're thinking, if I make this shot, that'll give me, you know, uh, a, what is it when you're one under par? What is that? Okay. So if I make this shot, that'll give me a birdie. That'll give me the best score. That'll be, if you're already thinking about what's going to happen when the ball is in the hole, then you're not present for the shot that you're going to make there. So that's always in sport, the tricky part. And, and that comes into connection with visualization, but for now we're not going to go there. Yeah. We're going to do the last, um, yeah, the fourth is, seed of mindfulness. This has been a very great discussion. Um, okay, so fourth seed of mindfulness is, um, you know, I think for the the listeners that have uh, tuned in here, they know that Neil and I love podcasts, whether it be the Tim Ferriss podcast, the TED Radio Hour. Rich Roll. Rich Roll, whatever it or is. Or On Being with Krista Tippett. Yeah, That's exactly. another great one. We found a new one. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> so we found a new one um, because of the Rich Roll podcast. Actually, this yes. podcast host, um, Michael Gervais, was on Rich Roll, uh, and it's called Finding Mastery. Um and it's all about the kind of looking at performance and understanding how people perform at their best. And Michael Gervais is excellent at kind of, decon- like Tim Ferriss, deconstructing success and, and really looking at what makes people successful. And he really digs deep with it. And he goes into it and he gets them, he almost, I don't want to say psychoanalyzes them, but he will take it right back to their childhood, their experience in moving forward, right. and then kind of figure out the keys to what has allowed them to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he himself just ask questions of curiosity, wanting to know more. And then he takes that information and applies it to his own work. Right. So you never know where the conversation is going to go. But it's uh, the Finding Mastery podcast with Michael Gervais. His last one with was with a social psychologist, uh, Dr. Keltner, um, which all was all about performance and how we perform at our best. Um so each episode is, I've listened to probably five or six now, and each episode you really learn the art of dissecting mastery 
and, and what allows people to strive for mastery. And the common denominator is that mastery is elusive. Mm. And you can never, you might be able to grab onto it for a moment, mm. but the very best in the world at whatever they do are the ones that open themselves up to understanding that they need to learn more. Mm. And they may be great in one moment, but they might be not so good in the next. Um, and that's all a part of the process. So I wanted to share that as a fourth seed of mindfulness, uh, the Finding Mastery podcast with Michael Gervais, which you can find on iTunes. And that leads me to one more thing before we conclude this episode is I hate doing this and I realized uh, early on that I don't want to ask people to do reviews of our podcast. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but I do realize that um, reviews of our podcast help us reach more people that are kind of passionate about the same types of conversation. But also uh, it gives us feedback about what we can improve upon in our conversations. I know this one has been a long one. It's 48 minutes and we don't usually go this long. But um, if you uh, can take the time and energy to go to iTunes and give us a review uh, and give us feedback about the podcast, and that's not just positive feedback, which uh, slaps us on the back and tells us we're doing a great job but also just what you want to hear more of, what we need to do more of to be better at delivering our message to other people. We yeah. would really appreciate that. I've always been hesitant to ask for reviews, but Jared Robinson, the PE geek, has uh, helped me understand that uh, asking for reviews is a very important part of the process of getting and uh, can, feedback from others. And so. can, you just, can you just repeat those? You mentioned two guiding questions that people can answer in the feedback. Like uh, what's, yeah, feedback. What are they... uh, I guess what do they find valuable about listening to our podcast? Okay. But what are we going on too long? Kind of like any kind think, of yeah, what any are you, kind of feedback about uh, or what how are, we can improve our message and refine it. Yes. What are you enjoying? What are you not enjoying? Or yes, what are your big takeaways? What's resonating with you the most? Yes, and how okay. can we get better at delivering our passion for mindfulness, being present, and uh, really digging deep into uh, the human emotion and the human, the human experience element. and the human yes. element of how we conduct our lives, right? Which is, yes. So let's do a review like we always do. So uh, we're going to quickly go over the, the four seeds. The first seed was? Uh, the power of taking a solo trip on your own and perhaps attending a one-week retreat. Uh, whatever it is that you desire, take some time for yourself. The second seed of mindfulness was uh, the idea of the human connection and uh, the video looking beyond borders, the four-minute experiment, which is extremely powerful, and that idea that at a subconscious and conscious level, the science shows that we all want to connect. And this video really goes deep into that, despite it being only five minutes long. And the third one was about continuous learning, being a beginner in anything, and I really want to repeat uh, Shinryu Suzuki's a Zen Monk's quote, 
In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are only a few. That's Which cool. means you always have to learn more, right? You always have to be open to learning more. Yeah. And the last seat of mindfulness, the fourth seat of mindfulness, was the Michael Gervais Finding Mastery podcast. Which is amazing. Which you can uh, easily find on iTunes. He uh, He's such a calm, relaxed, great interviewer. interviewer I agree. And reflective about his own uh, practice. His life so, in yeah. general, yeah. So, everybody, thank you very much. Uh, again, we aim to keep these podcasts between 30 and 35 minutes. This one's been 52 minutes so far. I think that's because we haven't recorded one in 52 minutes. Or, sorry, we haven't recorded one in a few weeks. This yes. is 52 minutes, but we haven't recorded one in a couple months. And um, It's been a pleasure. I, I love talking to you, Neela Steele. And I'm not see. afraid to admit that I really love this woman beside <laughs> me. She's my friend, and I love her a lot. You're my friend and my coach and yeah. my partner, father so, of my children. Yeah, I, I hope I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Bassett. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.